This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Hello, how are you on this Thursday afternoon? Good to have you along. It is on. Harvest has officially started with the first load of lupins being delivered to the CBH group at Una in the northern ag zone just yesterday. And also today you're going to head to the Royal Show. I wonder if you've already called into the show this year. Well, if not, you will be heading there a little later this hour to hear from one of the young competitors in the clipping and commentary event. Oh, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, but I've got to the point where I kind of know what I'm, I'm talking about, and that's always helpful. The more you practice doing the actual clipping, the more you can talk about it. And, yeah, it's, I think the best part for me was trying to get the crowd involved, and that kind of really helped my nerves. It didn't really, you know, I wasn't really putting the pressure on myself. It was more transferring that energy kind of to the crowd. So. You'll hear more from ag student Hayley Baker soon. She certainly sounds really positive about the ag industry which is really nice to hear. We'll catch up with her after the news headlines at half past 12 today. Six past 12 here on the Country Hour on the ABC right across Western Australia and on the ABC Listen app. President of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association, Tony Seabrook, says if Australia votes yes in the upcoming referendum, it'll be like putting WA's cultural heritage laws on steroids. Now, Australians will vote on October 14 about whether an Indigenous voice to Parliament should be enshrined in the Constitution. The proposed voice would advise on a broad range of issues federally, but would have no legal power to enforce any of its recommendations. WA's cultural heritage laws, on the other hand, were specifically intended to protect culturally significant places here in WA. Intense opposition to the state legislation saw the WA government roll back new heritage laws just five weeks after they were implemented. But those concerns with the heritage laws are now ingrained in the minds of many voters like Tony Seabrook. Tony, explain how you think a successful yes vote in this upcoming referendum will be the equivalent of putting WA's cultural heritage laws on steroids. Look, I, I think the, the whole concept of the voice is being sold by some very clever, articulate people. I think most of them are fairly high, have a high level of integrity. I don't think they've got any concept of what the outcome might be. And I don't think the state Labor government had any idea what the ACH uh, Act was going to do. Uh, but it flushed out some pretty ordinary people with some pretty ordinary objectives. And very deep behind the voice, those same sorts of people are still there. And they have a different agenda than those that are that, that are selling the warm and cosy feeling that, that the voice is currently promoting. Your concerns uh, about the upcoming referendum were put to the Agriculture Minister Murray Watt this morning on the morning show with Nadia Mitsopoulos, and this is what he had to say to those concerns. I'm afraid Tony Seabrook is 100% wrong on that. Um, that is just a complete misrepresentation of what the voice is about. And it's really unfortunate that we keep seeing this misinformation being pushed out, whether it be by politicians or, or certain people in the community. The voice is simply an advisory body. It doesn't make any decisions. The parliament and the government at the federal level would still have the responsibility for making decisions. But we think that they'd make better decisions if they actually listened to the people who are affected by it. Um, and that's being Indigenous people. So 
I'm sorry, but Tony Seabrook is 100% wrong and it's a real shame that people like him keep saying these things that are dead wrong. Are you spreading misinformation, Tony? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'd say, Minister, you are 100% wrong and I think the referendum will actually prove that. Your government has so much invested in winning this, this the voice, the yes. Of course you're going to peddle that line. You don't have any clear understanding of where this will take us to and if we're t- talking about 100%, well, I'm sorry, sir, but that's the wrong side of the fence that you are currently on. Tony, supporters of the Yes Vote say the referendum is about improving the lives of First Nation Australians on areas like health, education, housing. So why are you extrapolating the intent of the voice to include things like property Look, rights the, and threats to agriculture? The, the National Indigenous Australians Agency, which very few people even know about, based in Canberra, is actually employing right now 1,317 people. It has a budget of over, uh, what is it, uh, $4.5 billion, billion dollars to do this. And, and I would say to the Minister and anybody else, look, we don't need a referendum. We need a Royal Commission. Every single thing you need to achieve what the Yes our campaigners are saying needs to be achieved can be done under the current legislation and the current funding. $38 billion a year, $100 million a day, for the result that we're getting. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. They're hiding behind the tokenism of the so-called voice when they can get out there and make the situation better with everything that's there today. But why are you extrapolating the intent of the voice beyond those areas like health, education and housing to, to have concerns about how this may affect property rights and farming into the future? Because they're dressing it up as something that it's not. They say it will increase health outcomes, education. You know, they're saying it's going to achieve a lot of stuff that, that can be done today. It's the element behind the voice, and there's a lot of documentation around the place, and I think the reason the no case is gathering so much momentum is that people are actually reading that information. They're looking into what's behind this, and there are some people in there with some pretty serious objectives that are not anything to do with what the voice is being told uh, it's about. They have an agenda. Um, freehold land may not come under quite the same level of threat as the ACH in WA was going to, but their agenda is that this is their country, we stole it, they want reparations, they want to charge for people to go to beaches and and into parks and and use public lands. Some of the people that will actually pop out of the woodwork once this this voice comes into play are not very nice people. And to be absolutely fair, they're being a bit quiet right now, but it's all there, it's all on paper, you can look it up anytime you like. And so I'd say, look, if we're dealing about health and education, this has to be a priority. The money is there today to do that. Uh, As Bob Hawke said quite a long time ago, 1988, Bicentennial Address, he simply said, there ought to be no hierarchy of descent and no privilege of origin. We should start today, as as Melissa Price has said, sorry, Jacinta Price has said, let's start with a clean slate here, all of us equal, and let's get this country uh, working and get the Indigenous community into industry. We need them. We need the workforce that's there. We need them working with all of us, not as a separate nation of people. What implications are there for farming in all of this, Tony? I mean, are you concerned about the your property, for example? Will there be implications for your property and, and what you do on your farm into the future if this yes vote gets up? In the short term, probably not. But when you're hearing from some very influential people on the yes side, talking about having stolen their land, you know, stolen and it's their land. And you hear that that phrase, traditional owner, all the time. It's a mindset. And it's a mindset that is not helping the Indigenous people. It just isn't. You know, they need to recognise that this society is welcoming. People come from every corner of the globe and make a success out of being here. 
We need to change that mindset to grab the opportunities that are there and become part of us. And the concept of a nation within a nation, a group of people feeling disadvantaged and dispossessed, trying to seek some sort of redress for something that happened a long time ago is not helping anybody. And as Jacinda Price has said, this is one of the most divisive things that I think has ever happened in this country. And the state Labor government today will have to wear that because whichever way the referendum falls, that divisiveness and the seeds of it and the bitterness is there now. And it wasn't there 12 months ago. Thank you, Mr Albanese. If WA hadn't introduced the Aboriginal cultural heritage laws, do you think we'd be having this conversation? Probably. uh, Not to the same extent, because that laid bare exactly what was behind all of this. And no one would deny that 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 uh, heritage ought to be preserved. No matter what it looks like, it ought to be preserved. But culture is an entirely separate thing. There are lots of, of groups of people in Australia, religious groups, that have a culture of their own. That's theirs, and, and they're free. The wonderful thing about Australia is that it's free for them uh, to carry on their culture. The Indigenous culture is theirs. They should own it. It's theirs. But not in, they ought not to try and inflict it on the rest of us. And the concept of, of river serpents and woggles um, sacred lands. You know, this is their belief system. It ought not to be challenged because it's theirs, but it should stay theirs. It shouldn't be inflicted upon the rest of us. How do you believe your stance on this referendum is interpreted by the broader community? Um, I think it was a fairly lonely voice to start with, but when I think of the staggering amount of money, the resources, the mining companies that rolled over, the sporting clubs, the municipalities, when I think of all of the people that have rolled over and the massive war chest that the Yes campaign have got compared to the almost negligible war chest of the no vote. And yet, guess what's happening? You know, the average Aussie's not a bloody deal. He really isn't. And he can see through this. And so, and, and I'm afraid even the ABC is not altogether innocent here. You know, the, the pro-Yes campaign waged through the ABC has, has been absolutely massive and unrelenting. And, and, and yet still, Australians are saying, this is a crock. This is not something we're prepared to vote for. So you're confident that this referendum won't get through? No, Belinda, I'm not, because I see these people, these happy clappers, out in the streets, marching on Sundays, out in the sun, really thinking that they're going to do good. And honestly, look, do-gooders throughout history have done the exact opposite. I I understand their, their innocence and their naivety and their sense they want to make Australia a better place for some people that are severely disadvantaged, but I'm calling it happy clappers because they have not actually thought through what this is all about. It just feels good. And the really frightening thing is that a whole lot of people thinking uh, that because of the feel-good side of it that they're going to vote yes may bring upon us something that in the long run will not help. Tony, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Belinda. Tony Seabrook, he is president of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association. What do you make of that? Are you in the same camp as Tony or you see things very differently in the lead up to this vote on October 14 about whether an Indigenous voice to Parliament should be enshrined in the Constitution? The text is 0448 922604 and a few texts already flooding through. This from Tom. Very well said, Tony Seabrook. If $4 billion was squandered by any other group, there would be a royal commission. This from Tony in Wyndham. Tony Seabrook claiming the ACH flushed out some pretty ordinary actors with some pretty ordinary attitudes. Pot calling the kettle black. Totally ill-informed and playing on entrenched white privileged attitudes. Vote for hope, not fear and mistrust, says Tony. This from... 
John Ingero. Here we go. Tony Seabrook from the PGA can't even get consensus from a majority of WA farmers. Their representation is less than a third of WA farmers. Of course, this interview will be balanced and there will be a supporter of The Voice on the Country Hour as well, question mark. Probably not WA Country Hour, sponsored by the WA National Party. Well, uh, speaking of the National Party, Mia Davies is the Nationals WA member for Central Wheatbelt and Shadow Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. Mia Davies, how credible are Tony Seabrook's concerns that The Voice poses a threat to property rights and agriculture? Well, with the greatest of respect to Tony, I reject those propositions. This is simply about an advisory body to the federal parliament and executive government about how we make better decisions for Aboriginal people and communities across Australia. It will have no capacity to spend money. It will have no capacity to veto what the parliament of the day decides. And from a personal and philosophical perspective, as a legislator for some 15 years, having access to that advice to make sure that we're actually making good decisions as parliamentarians on behalf of all Australians, to me, seems eminently sensible. Tony says, you know, freehold land may not come under quite the same level of threat as the Aboriginal cultural heritage laws were going to. But what he's worried about is that there are some people on the yes side with some serious agendas that um, this country is theirs, we stole it, and he's concerned those sort of people with those agendas are going to pop out of the woodwork once the voice comes into play. How valid are those concerns? You know, might not be immediate concerns, but further down the track. Well, I think your listeners need to remember, Belinda, that ultimately it will be the government of the day that makes decisions. And yes, they will have access to advice provided by the voice. I think there will be very pressing issues and we've heard advocates for this talk about them. Health, education, the justice system. Yes, no doubt there will be discussions around some of the issues uh, that Tony has raised, but it will still ultimately be the parliament of the day, the government of the day, acting on that advice. And so no one loses their right to advocate into the parliament. This is about advice not veto right. They will not have the powers that some are saying uh, or I think um, wrongly propositioning that they will have. And what's the need for The Voice when you see other organisations with very similar roles, as Tony mentioned, one of them being the National Indigenous Australia Agency? So the National Indigenous Australia Agency is essentially a government department. They are there to put into play the policies of the government of the day to provide funding, to monitor services delivery. That is not what The Voice is about. The Voice is about advice to the government and the parliament of the day on big ticket issues. So health, education, the overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in our justice system, which ultimately impacts every Australian. Now, you might not see that every day, but certainly if we can have a better mechanism for understanding policy development and delivery, services delivery in a, in a nation as big as Australia, so that we get a better spend of our taxpayer dollar, I cannot understand why you would be rejecting that outcome. And as a policymaker myself, I would see it as an opportunity to be able to go and at least have the discussion with an organisation like The Voice. And you're confident that this will actually make a difference, 
to those key items like the health, the education, housing, those issues for Indigenous people? Well, there's two things. One thing is what we're doing now and have done for many years is simply not working. And two, do I think it's going to be a silver bullet? No, but I think any step in the direction of trying to better get a better outcome for taxpayer dollar spend, for the use of our public servants' time, for the ultimate outcome of shifting the dial on some of that disadvantage we see across Australia, then I, I am willing to go down the path of voting yes for that. WA Liberal Leader Libby Metham says the controversy around WA's Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act has swayed her mind on the voice, as well as a, a lack of clarity on how it would lead to practical outcomes. So she's changed her mind from initially being a yes to a, a no vote. Have you had second thoughts at all? No, I haven't. The two are not the same. And the fact that they've been conflated is very frustrating. The Aboriginal cultural heritage legislation that was brought in in 2021 and then the following regulations were a terrible piece of legislation. And ultimately, they were directly impacting many, many people. What we're talking about as a uh, the voice is an advisory body. So it's not a piece of legislation that's going to directly cause fees or structures or impositions on landowners. And the two are very, very different. Do I think that it's a silver bullet? No. Do I think what we're doing now works? Absolutely not. Is there an opportunity for us to engage with and understand how we can better deliver services and policy to change those outcomes for Aboriginal people and ultimately all Australians, I think that's something that we should consider and I urge people to do that. You do seem to be a lone voice for the yes case on the conservative side of politics across the country. I mean, do you have any reservations about your commitment to that yes vote, considering what, you know, every other member just about in the on that side of politics is thinking? Melinda, there is a healthy dose of politics in this debate, and I think people should be very aware of that. There is high stakes for Prime Minister Albanese and the opposition leader Peter Dutton, and that is all politics. This should be about policy. So I understand that there is no love for the Labor Party or Prime Minister Albanese in regional Western Australia in particular. They've made some shocking decisions in relation to industries that are very dear to our heart and very important to our state's economy. But a referendum about what we're talking about, the voice, is more than the politics of the day. It's actually about asking people to get policy setting rights. And so in my experience, having seen the opportunity, and and much like when we say to people, we want regional people to have an opportunity to influence what comes out of Canberra, and they have that opportunity through a number of different forums, inviting them to be a part of policy making, inviting them to be invested in the outcome, whether you're regional, whether you're Aboriginal, always gets a better outcome. So for me, this is about how do we get a better outcome for our taxpayer dollar and how do we shift the dial on those things that you cannot deny are impacting outcomes for Aboriginal people. And what feedback do you get on the stance you're taking from your constituents as you travel through the wheat belt. Yeah. Um, so we've had show season, obviously. There's been plenty of opportunities for people to contact me and come up and talk to me about my position. And I simply say I am comfortable if people reach a different outcome, as long as they've spoken to people that agree with them, 
that disagree with them, that they've taken some time to understand what's being asked of them. It is a referendum and ultimately we all get to vote. I'm not voting as the member for Central Wheatbelt. I'm, uh, I have a vote the same as everyone else. So yes, I understand that I think there'll be a significant no vote in my community, but I certainly do not judge people. Um, I'm not calling them names as some others have. I think that's um, the divisive part of the debate that doesn't help people think and consider what they're going to do on the 14th of October. Mia Davies, thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Mia Davies is the Member for Central Wheatbelt and Shadow Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. 25 past 12 on the text. A Tony Seabrook should be Prime Minister. He talks a lot of common sense, says Paddy and Higo texted in with the same sentiment. Tony Seabrook, 100% correct. Mia Davies is completely wrong and naive in the same way she was wrong with her initial position on the Heritage Act, according to Alex. Robin Busso, I agree with Tony Seabrook entirely. We already have a voice in Parliament. It's the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. After all, we are all Australians. The voice will only create apartheid, says Rob. And new species of dinosaur just uncovered, Seabrooksaurus, on the text. 0448 922 604, text through, and let me know what you're thinking. 26 past 12. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varisgetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt has addressed some key concerns in the WA sheep industry today. He is part of a conversation he had earlier on the morning show with Nadia Mitsopoulos. Farmers here were pretty annoyed at the government's decision to block extra flights in and out of Australia by Qatar. They say that would have provided extra freight capacity that they needed to export lamb. Would you have liked to have seen those extra flights for that reason? Oh, well, as I say, I, I support the decision the government has made and the, and the minister has made uh, to act in our overall national interest when it came to Qatar Airways. And I think one point that hasn't been really recognised is that there's absolutely no restriction on the number of air freight flights that Qatar Airways can fly. Um, so if Qatar Airways wants to, and if there's a market to fill air freight with more sheep meat or other products into WA or anywhere else in the country, they've got every right to do that. Um, so that is still an option. I think the concern people have had uh, is the ability to use, if you like, the belly of planes that are used for passenger services. Um, but um, there are many, many more airlines, commercial airlines, that are already running international flights in and out of Perth and other cities as well. So there is capacity there. And, and as I say, there is no limitation whatsoever on Qatar Airways running air freight flights. So, you know, I'm, I think there is capacity there. Um, we'd like to see Qatar Airways take up more of it. And if there's a market for it, I'd encourage people to be talking to Qatar Airways about that. Isn't that your job? Yeah, well, I mean, our government is obviously talking regularly to all of the airlines about those kind of things. But I guess what I'm saying is that if people feel that um, you know that, they, that Qatar could be doing more as well, then they're welcome to make those representations in addition to what we're doing as a government. Minister, the WA sheep industry argues your policy to end the live sheep trade has created a lack of confidence in the industry. Prices have plummeted to a point where some, some sheep are selling for $1 a head. Some farmers are now thinking about shooting sheep to avoid animal welfare issues. How much responsibility do you take for this situation? Um, well, well, I acknowledge and I have previously acknowledged that 
um, the government's policy to phase out live sheep exports has caused angst in the farming community in Western Australia. I've, I'm on the record having done that many times, but I've also said that we want to work with the industry uh, to make this transition as painless as possible uh, and, if, if, if at all possible, to expand onshore processing of sheep meat, which is more jobs in Australia and, and more money for farmers, processors and others. But they um, argue but, that's but, not viable in WA, and I've got people like Paul, a farmer, who's saying he's shooting sheep because he's mm. not got markets for them. Mm. And, and that, well, that's on your head, he says. Yeah, well, I, I suppose I respectfully disagree with Paul about that. I, I absolutely acknowledge that sheep prices have fallen significantly, but it's not just on the West Coast, it's the East Coast as well. Cattle prices um, around the country have fallen significantly as well, and that's nothing to do with a position on live exports of, of sheep or cattle. The, the issue we've got with the sheep industry right around the country is, frankly, there is an oversupply um, because of the good conditions that people have had over the last couple of years, weather conditions, prices, there has been a build-up in the overall flock across the country, on both sides of the country. I think there's a lot of people who are looking at trying to offload sheep because of the concern about a coming drought. Um, so what that is mean, it's supply and demand, um, and we've got a lot more sheep available than what anyone uh, at the moment uh, wants to buy. So I, I think that that is the fundamental problem. I mean, if... If the issue was about a position on live sheep exports from WA, well, why is the sheep price falling on the East Coast as well? Why is the cattle price falling? It's basically the market in operation. And I don't want to sound insensitive to that. That's a real issue for people. And we need to work with the industry about that. But it's really about the oversupply of the market that we've got at the moment. Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt on the morning show with Nadia Mitsopoulos this morning. Half past 12 and with all this doom and gloom and reports of farmers shooting sheep, you'd think the last thing WA farmers would be doing is spending money on rams. But that's not the case. Nutrient Livestock Breeder Agent Mitchell Crosby says there hasn't been a significant drop in average prices at recent ram sales. They've been um, very good considering what the market is out there at the moment for sheep prices. They've been very solid, probably back a little bit on last year, probably around 10%. And also the clearances have been back somewhere between that 10 to 15% on most ram sales so far. And probably people are putting in a few less rams. So why are ram sales and prices looking considerably good? I think out there the general producer is... um is still reasonably positive about what's happening in the in the sheep job long term. It's just we're in a um with the season, um with a few other negative things with live export around there. But um generally people are happy to spend money on rams that are the right quality for their production and um they just keep ticking along and and making sure they're getting it all right for the next the upcoming years. If you can ballpark, what would you say is around the average price of a ram at the moment? Oh, somewhere between the, the fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars most most ram sales are being. Some have been back on that, and some have been up on that. But generally, that's that's where we're sitting at for the most of the merino ram sales. What would you say is the top dollar being paid at the moment? Probably for flock rams, somewhere between that two and a half to three thousand dollars for good flock rams, and then for stud rams, you know, we've had a few few ram sales make up around that fifteen to twenty thousand dollars for stud rams and even the stud blokes that are breeding rams to sell um they're happy to keep spending money on genetics because they they know they've got to go forward and and looking for something new that's going to improve them so people are happy to spend money as long as the rams are right 
So what are these ram sales indicating for the future of the sheep industry? Probably they're indicating that, you know, the people that are in, that are in the industry are happy to stick in there. Don't get me wrong, we've had a few people um, exit the industry or going to exit the industry over the coming months, but generally people are pretty happy to um, stay in there. Their whole farming production relies around the livestock part of their business, so they're happy to um, be involved in it and keep buying rams and keep the genetics coming through. What do you think mating rates are going to be like moving forward? I think generally matings will be back and the producers that I class for and be involved in, um, they're probably looking at somewhere between that 10 and 15% less used mated compared to this time last year. Now, there's a few more ram sales happening in the following weeks. Are you expecting similar results from them? Yeah, we've um, really done most of our ram sales up in the northern end of the state, and so we're moving back down to the Great Southern, Lower Great Southern. They've been good so far. The season's a lot better down here than what it is up north, so I think they'll continue with the same trend as being um, be pretty solid throughout the um, last few weeks of ram sales. Mitchell Crosby from Nutrien speaking to Sophie Johnson about the average prices at recent ram sales here in WA, only dropping by about 10% on last year. And in response to the conversation about the referendum on the Indigenous voice to Parliament we had just a few moments ago, uh, Tony Seabrook from the Pastoralists and Graziers Association arguing the no vote and Mia Davies, the member for Central Wheatbelt, arguing the yes case. Mick says, thank goodness for Mia Davies. She speaks sense. This from Sebastian. You can always rely on Mia to be a calm voice of reason when everyone else runs around with their hair on fire. Wish she was our premier. And this from Anonymous, Mia needs to go. She's taken the Nationals so far left, they're now irrelevant. The only reason we would need the voice as another tier of government is if local members aren't doing their job. The text, 0448 922 604, 25 to 1. Better late than never. Jonathan Hopper is here with the news headlines. Good afternoon, Belinda. Woodside Scarborough gas development has been dealt a blow after the federal court found an environmental plan for part of the project was not legally approved and therefore invalid. First Nations woman Raylene Cooper had been challenging the approval for Woodside to carry out seismic testing to locate undersea gas reservoirs off WA's northern coast. Federal Court Judge Craig Colvin ruled that approval was invalid, meaning Woodside cannot go ahead with the testing. The state government has launched a new $3.6 million tourism campaign featuring Formula One's Daniel Ricciardo. The campaign shows Mr Ricciardo driving from Perth to Exmouth, stopping in Calabari, Shark Bay and Bullera Station. Tourists visiting the state spent a record $16.8 billion in the last financial year. And US rock band Kiss say they're honoured to play in the AFL Grand Final this weekend. The show will be the final time the group performs in Melbourne. They will be retiring in December after to their show at New York's Madison Square Garden. Thanks, Belinda. Thank you so much for the update, Jonathan. 24 to 1. You're with Belinda Varasgetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. Still to come, Western Australia's grain harvest has started and believe it or not, it kicked off on the exact same date last year. Uh, just after the weather today, you'll find out what was harvested, where it all happened, but it is 
on harvest has started. And in response to Murray Watt, the Federal Agriculture Minister, addressing some of the key concerns in the WA sheep industry at the moment, uh, Lisa on text says, Murray Watt should resign. He has no idea about agriculture at all. Come out, shoot and bury some sheep, Murray, and your animal activist mates. You are totally insensitive. Uh, John Hassel from WA Farmers says, when will Murray Watt step up and get an actual understanding of the agriculture industry? He's supposed to be the Minister of. Ag ministers are supposed to support agriculture rather than blindly following policy set by government on very spurious grounds. And this too, has there ever been a more ill-informed or completely blind or incompetent ag minister than Murray Watt? He has been told several times that there is not the capacity to process onshore. Abattoirs are closing, not ramping up due to a lack of workers. Does Murray Watt ever leave Canberra? The text is 0448 922 604 23 to 1. Off to the Bureau of Meteorology, Angeline Prasad. How's it looking around the Southwest Land Division? It's another record uh, heat day today, Belinda, all the way from the Pilbara Coast through Gascoigne, Mikathara, uh, Maradin, all the way down to Ravensthorpe. Uh, we're looking at uh, record heat again today. So we're likely to see more records uh, tumble this afternoon. Yesterday we saw 19 records, uh, 19 WA temperature records um, uh, crash, uh, and we're looking at more as that heat uh, slowly shifts inland. So temperatures today uh, through the southwest land division, the inland parts of the southwest land division, is again going to be about 10 to 14 degrees above average for this time of the year, and some areas may see temperatures 16 degrees above average. So normally this time of the year we see temperatures generally in the low 20s uh, during the day, but we're seeing temperatures in the mid to high 30s uh, today, Belinda. That West Coast trough is is mo- moving slightly inland, rather slowly, and it's dragging in a lot of heat uh, through the northwest and the western parts of the state today. And that heat will shift into the goldfields and the Esperance region tomorrow before easing uh, on the weekend. Um, the trough is also generating a patchy cloud band uh, through the eastern parts of the southwest land division today. So there is a risk of uh, some dry thunderstorms through this area. Not expecting much rainfall. If it does happen, it'll be below one millimeter. The areas that are most likely going to see um, very isolated thunderstorm activity this afternoon into the overnight period is going to be east of Maradon and Lake Grace. All right. And then beyond that, there's a, a cold front coming through. I think it is early, sort of Sunday, Monday, but not a lot of rain in it by the looks. Um, I have got an update on the rain. Uh, it does look like it's going to be a, a moderate to strong cold front and it does bring rain to uh, the entire Southwest Land Division all the way to about Shark Bay. Um, east of Maradon to about to Geraldton, we may see 0.5 to 2 millimetres on Monday and southwest of uh, Maradon to Geraldton, about 2 to 6 millimetres through those agricultural areas. They could be very isolated for 6 to 8 millimetres uh, along the lower part of the uh, uh, the 
southwest, sort of south of Perth into the southwest districts and around sort of uh, inland of Albany. We might see a little bit more 10 to 20. There could be isolated falls 20 to 30. But yes, there is going to be a bit of a drop uh, with that cold front coming through. And it's going to be quite remarkable because it's it will be the beginning of October, early next week. And it's really going to be um, a winter. It will feel quite wintry with that cold front. It's, it's going to be cold and blustery, very windy with that cold front with the, with unusually cold temperatures uh, um, during the daytime once that uh, front uh, passes through Belinda. And then, Ange, for northern and eastern parts, what's it like this afternoon and then into the weekend? Yes, so we're seeing uh, temperatures again climb up to very hot values across uh, large parts of the western Kimberley, the Pilbara and the western parts of the Gascoigne, so getting above 40 degrees uh, through these de- uh, through these areas again today. Um, that heat will stick around for the next few days across northern WS, at, at least through parts of the Kimberley and, and, the, and the Pilbara, maybe easing off a little bit uh, as that... Uh, 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 West Coast trough moves inland and dissipates through the gas coin over the next couple of days. Um, with that cold front through sweeping uh, through southern WA, next week, early next week, we do see uh, a rather cool southerly flow extending to the northern parts of WA. So we might see those very hot temperatures easing early next week across uh, the Pilbara and the Kimberley. We have started seeing uh, thunderstorms in the afternoon over the far northern parts of the Kimberley. Uh, got a, a few drops uh, across uh, close to the north coast and that's likely to continue over the next few days. We might see one or two thunderstorms. So a bit of respite uh, from that heat uh, in, during the afternoon in those areas. And the warnings this afternoon? No warnings, Belinda. Oh, good. All right. Thank you. Your work here is done. Thank you, Ange. <laughs> Thank you. 18 to 1 here on the Country Hour. And in the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning, the only rainfall recorded was in the Kimberley, Wyndham Aero, with two mills in the gauge. As I mentioned earlier, harvest has officially kicked off with the first load of lupins being delivered to the CBH group bins at UNA yesterday. CBH Chief Executive... He's not that I've promoted him. Chief Operating Officer McDaw says the 52 tonne of lupins was good quality and with this week's warm weather, more harvesters will be cranking up soon. Yeah, so we started uh, yesterday with a first load up in Yuna. Uh, a load of lupins uh, got delivered. So, uh, yeah, things run away. I understand it's uh, almost, well, it is exactly the same day that harvest started last year. It is, yeah. We got our first load of uh, canola this time last year. So, yeah, on cue. Uh, I don't think it's the earliest we've ever sat. I think uh, a few years ago we were a couple of weeks uh, earlier than this. So, yeah, it's – but it is early, as you would imagine. Mm. Uh, starting with lupins, is that a bit of a surprise? Uh, that is a surprise, yeah. I don't uh, don't know that we've kicked off the season with a load of lupins before, but, uh, yeah, it is – is a bit of a surprise, but I guess uh, the way the season's panned out, it's um, a little bit unfortunate that, that they're the first ones delivered, given that uh, would indicate that things have dried out pretty quick up in the northern part of the state. Mm, and as you say, canola on the ground, not just in that Geraldton port zone down in Esperance, there's been some swathing and desiccating as well. So things are really start uh, about to start to ramp up. Yeah, they are. Um, and yeah, I think... Uh, you know, we're still busy moving out last year's crop, but uh, we're, we're making some good progress on that as well. CBH's Chief Operating Officer Mick Dorr speaking to Tara DeLandgraft. And you can hear more from Mick on tomorrow's Rural Report in the Midwest, Wheatbelt, Goldfields and Esperance regions. 
Still to come, we'll head to Mount Barker for the results of the cattle market. That's just before the news at one o'clock. First, though, Western Australia will soon have a new fisheries patrol vessel. Midwest boat builder Dongara Marine secured the $13.7 million contract from the state government. Managing Director Rowan War says this is the highest profile job they've ever secured. Technically, it'll probably be the most challenging one, so it is in that regard, but it's um, you know, well within our capabilities and it's just really good to get you know, support from the state government for these sort of projects because um, they, I'm sure they could go overseas with it and get it done much cheaper, but um, I think supporting local industry is just a, a massive plus. We're standing underneath one of your boats... Was that a boat? It's huge. <laughs> in um, the Dongra Marine shed on the wharf here. How is what you're going to com- build compared to this? Is that a cray boat? Yep. Yeah, so next to us here is a new 23-metre cray boat for a local fisherman. The new patrol boat will be slightly bigger than this, but its capabilities will be, you know, like the minister said, for up to 14 days at sea. Uh, so they'll, and it's going to have 1,000 miles of range, sprint speed of 25 knots. So whilst they're similar in overall length, it's, uh, this boat here is probably is, well, it is 23 metres and new one's going to be 24 metres for the fisheries. The capacity of the fisheries boat will be, in, in terms of capability, will be double of what, of what the typical cray boat is. Rowan War, Managing Director of Dongara Marine, speaking to Lucinda Joyce. And he thinks construction of the new fisheries patrol vessel will start in earnest in February next year. And eventually it will replace Deep Herd's ageing patrol vessel PV Walcott. Quarter to one. State Fisheries Minister Don Punch says when the new vessel is up and running, it will make life easier for Deep Herd's fisheries team to do its work in fishing zones and soon-to-be-finalised marine parks. This is a 24-metre purpose-built vessel, specifically designed for longer-range patrols, and it will support a range of activities from fisheries compliance, uh, shark responses, uh, general research um, work, and it will enable people to stay on board for up to 10 days at a time in good quality accommodation and have the fuel tanks to be able to go out on those long-range patrols safely. What does it mean to be able to award that contract to a West Australian company? Oh, look, it's really fabulous. And to do that in a regional area, Dongara Marine are building up such strong capability in shipwright work and and marine fabrication. And that, I think, is going to stand Geraldton and the community up here in good stead for the long term. It provides not only employment but training opportunities in fabrication and shipwright work. And both of those areas are in high demand. The government has plans to review and extend the Marmion Marine Park and plans for a South Coast Marine Park. There seems to have been no progress on either park plans for many months. What's the situation? Is there a hold-up? The Minister for the Environment, Rhys Whitby, is currently working through the public consultation process for both of those parks. We expect those to go out for public consultation um, in the next few weeks and there'll be a three-month consultation period. So that's where it's at. There's been an awful lot of information that's been gathered, both from a fisheries point of view and from a marine conservation point of view. These are really, really important areas. 
there's a lot of industry that depends on them so getting the balance right is critically important and that's really what has taken the time to go out to the public with something that we think is a reasonable representation of how the various balances between those interests can be met and then we take public comment and based on that public comment we either go ahead or we modify as we need to. Is it acceptable to leave Esperance fishermen waiting for so long? They were expecting plans to be released and for consultation in April. Look, what I think is really important is getting the draft plans right and getting that out into the community in a way that the community can see where their input has been fed into the process. So I'd rather take a little bit more time and make sure that what we go out with is something that um, is... uh, well recognised and understood by the community down there. I've met with the Geraldton Fishing Groups um, three times now um, and taken feedback directly from... The Esperance Fishing Groups? Yeah. Sorry, yes, I've met uh, down in Esperance with fishing groups on three occasions and um, I'm very aware of their concerns, but we do want to get it right because if we go out with something that isn't really what we think is the best fit, then we, we've got the public commenting on something and we're starting um, from a... Uh, not the best position to start off with. You mentioned a three-month consultation period. When might that begin? When will they see the draft? Well, as I said, um, I'm expecting that work to be completed in the next few weeks and then they'll be released. So um, that's where we're at at this point in time. There were plans for the Marmion Marine Park to be jointly managed with the Wajak Aboriginal Corporation. Is that still the plan? Yeah, look, the details of those arrangements need to really be directed to Minister Whitby as the lead minister responsible for the marine parks. My understanding is that that is still the case, um, but in terms of where that process is at in the negotiations with traditional owners, that's a matter for Minister Whitby. Minister for Fisheries, Don Punch with Lucinda Joyce. 11 to 1. Two of the nation's biggest drilling companies have just been given the go-ahead to merge. Parenti, formerly known as Ausdrill, will acquire DDH1 in a deal worth over $400 million. It was all approved by the federal court on Tuesday. Market commentator Tim Treadgold says it's a merger of survival and there could be more to come. I think what's happening is that the drilling industry is looking at their they're looking at their forward order books and saying well look it's not as healthy as it used to be we need to hold the business together achieve some economies we're going to have to park up some rigs if things get tighter uh, so it makes sense to create a, uh, a company that can ride out what might be a downturn in the next 12 to 18 months we're talking about some some pretty big companies here, two of the biggest drilling services companies in Australia, and it was only sort of two years ago that DDH1 acquired SWIC. So things have turned quite fast. Well, they have, they have and they've turned quite fast around the world. Um, uh, there was a, what, what the Americans would call a curveball tossed in, uh, which was um, COVID. And COVID upset everything. It upset the labour availability. It's upset supply lines, the availability of equipment. Everything got thrown in a, in a cocked hat, so to speak. And we, we started to come out of that. Hopefully, we're going to come out of it quite quickly. But it hasn't worked out that way because the, the high costs we Uh, which were created by COVID, have stuck. China is not growing as it was expected to. So demand for a lot of basic raw materials is not as strong 
as was expected. And everyone's sort of saying, well, let's stop the meter for a while and see where we're going. I mean, commodity prices over the last 12 months for a lot of important minerals and metals around Kalgoorlie have not been good and costs have not been good. So you've got this nasty pincer squeeze of um, prices stagnant or falling and costs going up. It's it's not a pretty sight. I mean, nickel, for example, is down 15% in a year, but I can guarantee that the cost of producing nickel has gone up by, oh, pick a figure, 5 to 10%. So you've got 15% down on one side and 10% up on the other. And nickel miners will be looking at that and saying, wow, how do we stay in business? And it's the same with the drillers. Market commentator Tim Treadgold with Tara DeLangraft. Eight minutes to one. Shortly off to Mount Barker for the results of the cattle market and a bigger yarding than last week. Tracey Kilner with the details shortly. First, the Royal Show is on in Perth this week and it's always a great chance for people from rural parts of the state to compete in all sorts of events and have a talk, a one-on-one with people from the metropolitan area. And one interesting event is called Clipping and Commentary. Hi, my name's Hayley Baker. I'm from Bullsbrook. My family farms are up at 2J. Um, I'm just down at the Royal Show uh, this week helping Asha Goddard uh, show her black cementels. I just competed in the clipping competition where someone has to clip the cattle and someone has to commentate at the same time. I think we did really well. We, we tried our best and, yeah, uh, really enjoyed it. <laughs> So so let's start with why you need to clip the cattle. What purpose does that have for showing? Yeah, so I guess probably the major feature is it makes them look a a lot neater and a lot tidier. It also helps accentuate their good features and maybe cover up a few of the features that they're a bit weaker in. Yeah, it just makes the cattle look neater and more presentable. Same reason people do their hair in the morning. A part of this, we can hear in the background, is is the team of two. One one member clips and and does the, the work and the other commentates and you've got a crowd of people there how's it feel speaking to a mic in front of all these people oh it's a little bit nerve-wracking but I've got to the point where I kind of know what I'm, I'm talking about and that's always helpful the more you practice doing the actual clipping the more you can talk about it and yeah it's I think the best part for me was trying to get the crowd involved and that kind of really helped my nerves it didn't really you know I wasn't really putting the pressure on myself it was more transferring that energy kind of to the crowd so and hard with young cows who maybe haven't been in a crush in front of an audience before. Talk yeah. us through, like, keeping them calm and, and behaving. Yeah, so Clementine, who we had in the crush just then, she's never been in the ring before, let alone in a, in a crush like that or been clipped. So I guess it was just important for us to move slowly and to be calm ourselves because she can kind of feel that when we're calm, she's calm. Giving her a brush as well, she enjoys that, so she's more focused on the brushing and that good feeling than something that's scary and new for her you sound like you've been to the show maybe a few times in your life what's what's the best and the the worst bits about the show each year oh i'd have to say the best bits the the cattle exhibit and coming down to the cattle lanes i enjoy the people down here i enjoy working with the cattle so it's always good the worst bits i don't think there's a worst bit not this 35 degree heat right now (laughs) i guess i guess it does put a little bit of a strain on your enjoyment of it but no, if you love it enough, you can tolerate anything, I think. Yeah. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 20. Just 20. turned 20. Yeah. Yep. So future, your future's all in ag, back oh, home on the farm? Of course, yeah. I'm at uni studying ag. Um, hopefully one day have my own cattle 
come to the show myself. So that's the plan and it's just all about learning at the moment. So one day I can come and do this myself. Paulsbrook farmer Hayley Baker speaking to Ellie Honeybone at the Perth Royal Show, which is on all this week. Five to one. Hello, I'm Sally Sarah. Join me for The World Today. Troops on the move. Hundreds of soldiers based in Adelaide will be sent north in a strategic shake-up of the Defence Force. Australia's top universities fall in international rankings. What does it mean for the higher education sector? And inflation is up. Will it prompt the new Reserve Bank Governor Michelle Bullock to increase interest rates? Those stories are more from right across the country and around the globe coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. Four minutes to one, and it was a much larger yarding of cattle at the Mount Barker sale yards this morning. Tracy Kilner is there. Hi, Tracy. How big was the yarding today? Numbers doubled today. We had 955 good quality cattle. With the higher numbers, prices trended down except for the yearling steers with the feeder buyers chasing the heavier weights. Heavy cows and bulls eased, even with an additional processor present. Wiener steers sold from 310 to 356 cents, while the heifers made from 198 to 284 cents a kilo. Yearling steers gained 15 cents, selling from 236 to 346 for the lighter weights. A large yarding of yearling heifers made from 180 to 268 cents a kilo. Grand steers returned 190 to 247 cents, while the grand heifers sold from 160 to 188 cents a kilo. Heavy cows were down 15 cents, selling from 140 to 184 to average 165, while the heavy bulls sold to 180 cents a kilo. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you for going through those details. It's three minutes to one and so many texts coming through, uh, particularly on the conversation about The Voice, the referendum. We had earlier in the hour, uh, Tony Seabrook, president of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association, was here just saying that if Australia votes yes in the upcoming referendum, it's going to be like putting WA's cultural heritage laws on steroids. And he was here arguing the no case. And then you heard from Mia Davies, the member for Central Wheatbelt, who is arguing for the yes case, going against most of the conservative politicians, not only here in her own party, Uh, but right across the country. And in response to that, John Bain in Bunbury says, we've reached a point of no return with The Voice because I am so mistrusting of politicians either side. My vote will be informal. There is no guarantee the next generations will have a reasonable chance to handle the future. This from Paul Chamberlain, West Fitzgerald. Tony Seabrook is right. There is a hidden agenda within The Voice. As I see it, the advisory body will use racial reasons to manipulate the parliament. The imposition on farming will extend to demanding a rent tax of some nature. Only One only has to look at the Mabo decision and the WA Heritage Act that was being imposed on all Western Australians. A culture should be respected but never imposed on other cultures. Our constitution is basically race, colour and creed free and that is the way it should stay, says Paul. Thank you for that. And Mike in Bajangara says, I'm going to be voting yes because of the Uluru statement. It seems I am a happy clapper. Very unprofessional, Tony Seabrook, says Mike. And there was also this from James who says, Tony Seabrook is full of crap. 
Ask any Indigenous person whether he or she is treated equally in Australia. We're treated as the lowest race in our own country, says James. Thank you for that. And this from Ralph. This is a vote against Labor stupidity. Now got nothing to do with Aboriginals, says Ralph. Heaps of texts on this subject this afternoon. We couldn't get to all of them, but thank you so much for participating. On the ABC right across WA, time for the news, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.